All of us are on a journey of becoming, a never-ending journey in pursuit of truth and deeper union with the divine. As you know, faith is a complicated thing and this journey of becoming can be both difficult and painful. Far too often, we have not been given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and I am also on this journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my story and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions so common to this shared journey. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to follow Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but rather that both doubt and curiosity are two of faith's biggest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Patterson, and hanging out with me today uh, is a friend that I met um, a little while ago now. Um, I think the first time we met in person was at Theology Beer Camp, uh, which is put on by Homebrew Christianity. Um, I There's just some minor interactions prior to that, um, and now I just bother him when I have questions <laughs> about things that he knows a lot about. And so today I'm happy to have uh, Myron Penner uh, joining me on the, on the podcast. Myron, how's it going? It's going pretty well, Josh. How's it going with you, man? It's going good. I just, uh, we just did like a mini uh, vacation um, over, it's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just got back today, um, like an hour or two ago. We just went to Rehoboth Beach. Um, so it was nice because my wife's birthday is the 26th. And so we kind of just, you know, did it. I mean, it was Memorial Day, which played nicely yeah. for, you know, a day off for us, but also it was like a birthday celebration for her. So what well, kind Pretty of explains, good. you know, just looking at the screen and I see you have that Zen like glow at the end of a holiday. <laughs> so it, uh, it's all coming together. It's magic. Yeah. Yeah. It's that or I'm just like really infused with the Holy Spirit and um... <laughs> some, some kind of spirits, some kind. Of, yeah, that's true. You saw my glass. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, Myron, for people who maybe aren't familiar um, with your work, can you just kind of fill us in a little bit on like who you are and, you know, maybe what your background is, what kind of uh, fun stuff you find yourself doing? Yeah. Um, maybe the best way to jump in is just to say uh, that I'm a professor of philosophy at Trinity Western University, which is a faith-based uh, Christian university in British Columbia, Canada. And uh, I've been there for a fair amount of time, just finishing up uh, my 18th year. And uh, the areas in philosophy that um, I'm interested in our philosophy of religion. And in the last decade or so, I've been working more on some topics in philosophy of science uh, and using scientific approaches to study religion. So when I was uh, a fairly young convert to Christianity around the age of 20, um, I, you know, 
some people get into philosophy, especially if, if they have Christian backgrounds, that they just feel like they need to prove how it's all true. Uh, they need to kind of, they jump into the apologetics kind of world and they just have these burning questions and, and maybe some real doubts that these nagging kind of worries about like, what if it all falls apart? And so they need to, uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll acquire some academic tools to try and, and work out their own issues. Um, that was never my uh uh entry point into philosophy and its connection to faith and re and uh, religion more broadly uh but for me i guess it was always uh, a, a curious kind of question as to you know how do the things that are you know claimed or uh seem to be a part of the faith tradition how do they connect with things that we seem to be learning across all the academic disciplines including science but not limited to science and uh, i found you know philosophy was able to give me a set of tools to help process some of those those questions, and that's really kind of uh, something that's been been with me uh, throughout throughout my my career. Cool. Well, one of the like kind of the topic that I wanted to talk to you about today is um, cognitive science of religion, and so I'm interested, kind of just like your story. So, how did like where was the connection for you from philosophy to um, cognitive science of religion, like, but yeah, what what was that path like uh, for yeah, you to kind of fall into that? Yes, that's um, it's a it's a good question. So, cognitive science of religion uh, is a multidisciplinary research program that's about thirty to forty years old, uh, and it started in around kind of the the, the mid to late nineties when you had uh, anthropologists and uh, experimental psychologists and some philosophers helping themselves to some of the tools of cognitive science uh, that they would connect with their own disciplinary work and uh, in the study of religion, right? So they would use uh, uh, you know, some, some categories and insights from the emerging cognitive sciences and apply those to religious beliefs and practices like ritual uh, or prayer or belief in supernatural agents. And fairly quickly, you started to see books and articles and this uh, this very fruitful kind of research uh, methodology started to, you know, present books like Religion Explained or Why Would Anyone Believe in God, uh, and uh, uh, which is a book by Justin Barrett and other and other sorts of books and it seemed like the vast majority of the the drivers or the the implications of this research was that we've now kind of explained uh, religion away i mean there's notable exceptions but but a lot of a lot of the um significance that was drawn from this research seemed to be that you know we've given uh, a robust kind of naturalistic and evolutionarily informed uh, uh, description of why religion is so pervasive in our species. So therefore, there's nothing to see here. Uh, and so probably about a dozen years ago, uh, I became, you know, started to bump across this research. And one of the things that, that I'm interested in is just kind of the rationality of belief in general, uh, and the relationship between evidence and perception and, and how it is that we, you know, form uh, good, good beliefs about the world, good in a truth conducive sense. And so I started to to engage some of this literature and see, well, what exactly is the significance of this emerging research for whether or not we should think there's a God or whether or not we should think religious experience is, in, is inclined to give us true beliefs about the world. And so uh, um, that was kind of the intersection for me is just starting to, to, to get a handle on the literature and uh, engage some of the philosophers who are informed about it and also their own 
uh, thinking about what this research says for philosophical questions that might be that 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 I was personally interested in. So that was kind of the entry point, and then I've uh, been able to to work uh, alongside uh, different psychologists who are doing primary empirical research in this field, and just kind of learn more about it. And it's just a real real fruitful kind of uh, fascinating set of tools in in my own view about how to understand uh, the religious life in general, uh, my own faith in particular, and kind of the religious communities that that you kind of intersect with. So uh, initial entry point was, you know, what does this all mean for the rationality of religious belief? But uh, that's gone um, much more broadly to just try and understand what are, the, what are the tools that this area of research can, can provide to help us understand the life of faith? Hmm. Yeah. So for me, like in my current state of Josh trying to learn about cool shit, yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to trying to put yeah. together my own uh, pieces here. Um, one thing that I've been interested in uh, most recently is a lot of like med metaphysics kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about metaphysics and then I start asking questions about like mind <laughs> or yeah. like consciousness, yeah. like what is that? These kind of things. Um, is there some kind of like within cognitive science of religion does, is there kind of like a philosophical offshoot that is metaphysics connected to cognitive science or is that kind of like still like a, a separate thing? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I think um, uh, not everyone is uh, uh, aware of kind of the distinctions that you just kind of laid out, right? So you, you, you know, you started out that question by you know, pointing out, you know, there's this whole area of the, you know, the the metaphysics of the mind. In you know, what what exactly are mental states? Uh, what is the nature of consciousness? How do we understand uh, consciousness? Consciousness as it relates to us as as human persons, uh, and um, you know, cognitive science uh, is also a multidisciplinary uh, research program that tries to map kind of the the, the cognitive architecture of the mind, and. Uh, Cognitive science typically is not really interested in the specific aspects or slices of human behavior that we see in like religion. And so there's there's kind of a, a sense in which cognitive science of religion has developed as a little cottage industry uh, that, you know, will utilize tools from, from cognitive science more broadly, but doesn't really engage with a lot of the people who are doing uh, strict, you know, quote unquote, cognitive science, trying to map cognitive architecture of mental processes. And part of that is to even understand that, you know, consciousness and what it is and, and how we can explain it. And so it's it's kind of interesting, like if you go to any major research university where they'll have, you know, uh, philosophers and psychologists, you know, working in kind of an area of cognitive science, they may not even know that there is such a discipline as cognitive science of religion. Now, that's that's kind of changing as, uh, uh, you know, cognitive science of religion or CSR as it goes by uh, is becoming, you know, more more well known across academic disciplines. But but uh, there's not there's not as much cross pollination there as, as one would think. OK, sweet. Yeah, that's just showing <laughs> my, my ignorance of the uh, of the, the field. Um, and kind of what's well, going on, but, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, but I, but I mean, I think, you know, uh, you, you kind of put your finger on exactly the right question that mm -hmm. not a lot of people who are coming into CSR, they just see the CS part of CSR and they just, and there's just an assumption that, oh, this is just a, a, a well understood part of, of the cognitive sciences. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not quite the case. 
Okay, cool. So I should go get a PhD and then try some metaphysics and cognitive science stuff. And then I'll 100%. report back to you in like eight <laughs> years or 10 years, however long. <laughs> well, if you know, when, when you, when you pursue your PhD, sure. I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll podcast the whole process so we can just follow along the journey. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, um, when, so I'm going to try to like shelf the metaphysics, like yeah. Josh's interest, weird yeah. question. And um, oh, wait, wait, keep... let me, let me circle, let me circle back for oh, a yeah. second. So go what, ahead. just for my curiosity, like what, sure. what are the central kind of questions that drive you when you, like, uh, when you think about metaphysics, like, is it like the nature of human persons or the nature of mind and consciousness? What are the, what are the, what are the things that, that, uh, that, that keep you up at night or that captivate your, your heart there? Yeah. Cur so currently for me, a lot of it has to do with um, like consciousness and mind, like philosophy of mind. What like what is consciousness, the consciousness, yeah. these kind of things, because um, yeah. then within like a process thought, um, like panpsychism is something that's like really interesting to me, um, which like kind of goes with like the panentheism mm -hmm. stuff that I really like. And then just trying to figure out, you know, like I read um, when I kind of you know, I had a period in my life when I kind of was like, I don't really know, like I need, basically I, I needed to broaden my horizon. So I started reading stuff that wasn't necessarily just Christian. So I started reading a lot of right. like Buddhism. And then I got into some like um, idealism type stuff, like reading works of like someone like Rupert Spira. Mm -hmm. And so um, that whole kind of thing, plus Buddhism just made me kind of really like, I, don't know what's going on <laughs> i want to try yeah. to try to try to find some kind of system um that even if you know i can't necessarily fully prove it to be true or false if it's like helpful for me like heuristically or even just as we were talking about earlier like if it's beautiful and it right. it makes my life more beautiful and hopefully improves the lives of those around me then I'm kind of down with that. So, so trying to that like mind and, and consciousness enough stuff is really, really interesting to me. Um, which then again, I think that ties into like, what is a person <laughs> as well? So I don't know. It's kind of all the above. Yeah, no, that's, uh, those are, I think, um, especially nowadays, I think those are exactly the right questions or the, the right kind of intellectual space uh, to be inhabiting just um, as we continue to learn more about the brain and to learn more about how, you know, brains uh, um, process uh, information, um, uh, you know, hope it's consciousness is just so hard, right? And it just, uh, like, I, I think, um, uh, you know, the, there's this kind of hope that as we, you know, work on what David Chalmers calls, you know, the easy problems of consciousness, which is just how, you know, the brain processes and organizes information. I think there's this kind of underlying hope that eventually the answer to the hard problem of consciousness, which is just, you know, why do those types of electrochemical processes give rise to conscious experience? I think there's kind of a sense that it'll just either go away or, or solutions will just become, become apparent. So that is kind of a, a, a really, really big promissory note. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's the, who it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next uh, decades. Yeah, it is. It is exciting, especially too, because like you said, the hard problem of consciousness is something that's really interesting to me um, and just intriguing. And I've like looked at it, you know, a bunch of different um, kind of ways people talk about that. Um, 
and still it's like I don't know if there's anything that's completely like satisfactory or like satisfying fully. Yeah. Um, there are yeah. things I think that are better than others, but um, yeah, so it is, it is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, to get from, you know, uh, like just understanding how the brain, you know, sends and communicates information to different parts, you know, and how that relates to certain functions in order to get from that type of data to a theory of consciousness, right? Like an like an explanation as to why those states make us feel things or want things or you know perceive things in particular ways. Um, like you have to kind of bring in a lot of of um, you know assumptions or laws to kind of help organize the data in a particular way. And those those are the ones that that are very controversial, right? But I think in that in those spaces too. Uh, theologically informed kind of reasoning can provide interesting, interesting data points for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that <laughs> that's the kind of like nerdy, stupid shit that I <laughs> keeps me up at night. And then I like try to talk to my wife about it. And she's like, I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> so, right. right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, within uh cognitive science of religion you you've or cognitive science rather sorry um you use this phrase a couple times uh, as you were kind of explaining it and we're, we're referring to like the tools that cognitive science provides um can you maybe name a few of those tools and then we'll try to um perhaps connect them to like okay so now here's the tools from cognitive science now here's how they play out specifically within cognitive science of religion so kind of like yeah yeah so um in kind of the, the 1950s in psychology, you had kind of the emergence of uh, what psychologists call the cognitive revolution. And really what uh, was involved in that uh, revolution was kind of a move away from, from the, the behaviorist psychology that was that was pretty prominent uh, in, in uh, up until that time uh, to uh, pay, paying attention to the nature of the mind and mental processes, right? So, so on a behaviorist picture, uh, you couldn't really know uh, what the mind is. You just analyzed human persons as a result in terms of the behaviors that you saw, right? So, you know, you you would note correlations between behaviors, right? Uh, ring the bell, get the food, that kind of thing. Uh, what um, uh, uh, early kind of cognitive psychologists were were intuiting though is that the mind is does not uh, seem like a blank slate the way many people would have theorized that's just kind of imprinted by culture or uh, can't be analyzed uh, in any way whatsoever as the behaviorists were were claiming rather it seems like uh, the mind is structured in ways that organize the experiences that we have uh, in ways that that incline us towards certain types of beliefs and so when you have, uh, you know, um, uh, what seem to be universal features of the of uh, the human kind of mental life, you know, things like memory uh, or sense perception uh, or paying attention and having uh, uh, attentional focus on certain things. These are just some common areas that uh, cognitive psychologists uh, would have said, you know, we can 
this is part of what it means to have the meat between our ears structured the way that it does. And so, you know, you would study uh, the nature of memory and they would conduct experiments to try and map kind of the, the human cognitive architecture, uh, you know, um, identifying different types of memory processing that seem to be present, you know, across cultures and in virtue of what it means to, 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 to be part of our species, right? And so there's, there's very well replicated studies, for example, about, you know, what, what, uh, how much, you know, short-term memory, uh, you know, people can, can have, or, um, or a better way of saying is like, you know, memorizing number sequences or that, that kind of thing, right? Um, and, uh, you know, the, memory is kind of an interesting one because you know there's there's some research that suggests that you know the more vivid sensations that we have about uh certain types of of episodes uh the less likely they are to be reliably accurate right so 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 but um so, so memory uh sense perception uh, attention those kind of things are, are the things that cognitive psychologists would would study so then what um one of the first kind of theorists to use this kind of cognitive approach to areas outside of, of, of um, uh, you know, our own uh, mental life was uh, Noam Chomsky, who applied cognitive tools to language acquisition. And he postulated in the same way that, you know, uh, across our species, we form memory beliefs. Uh, there's also uh, this, uh, um, you know, seems to be, I mean, I hesitate to say universal because there's always, uh, uh, that's not the language that they would use um, because universal just means never any exceptions and that's not what they would say. But there seems to be this near universal propensity for, for language acquisition. And so Chomsky postulated that there is some kind of cognitive module that is geared to specifically towards, uh, you know, helping us uh, uh, organize uh, speech into grammar, right? So. So, so that's kind of a, a model that was there for the early um, cognitive scientists of religion who said, you know, in addition, not only do you find uh, uh, language, you know, across uh, our, our species, but you kind of almost seem to find religion wherever you have had and whenever you have had human beings. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, there seem to be beliefs and practices that could be deemed religious uh, in nature. And, you know, once you get to, uh, you know, archaeological record where, you know, 80 to 100,000 years ago, people are being buried with beads and trinkets and other sorts of, of uh, you know, ceremonial um, uh, trappings that, re that really just strongly suggest, you know, some kind of, of religious uh, you know, preparation for the afterlife. Uh, and then, of course, you know, anthropological data, one of the more widely cited ones is uh, one of the recent, like within the last decade or so, massive global survey that uh, Pew Religious Trust did, where you've got 84% of the world's population identifying as participating in some, some type of religion. And then even among the 16% who are not participating in, uh, in, organized religion, there's still a, a subset of those who would be happy to identify as or would qualify as being spiritual, but just not religious, right? So, so, so the, the, the early kind of cognitive scientists of religion, you know, were kind of thinking, well, there's something, there's something to see here, you know, there's, there seems to be something about the way uh, human minds uh, structure and engage uh, experience in ways that uh, incline them towards 
you know, beliefs and practices and behaviors that are religious, you know, kind of like, you know, and maybe there's like less of a, of a, of a strong case, at least initially that, that, you know, Chomsky had for, for kind of a, uh, a near universal grammar, but there was enough there to, to kind of fuel this area of research, you know, and so you'd have, um, uh, you know, uh, cross-cultural survey work, you know, examining rituals, uh, you know, in, in different religious types of settings. And, and you had a lot of the early work was really focused on ritual because you could get some good ethnographic and anthropological data and then try and, and, and run that through a, a, a cognitive lens to say, well, what is the, what are, how are, how are minds engaging uh, this type of relationship with deity, right? What does it seem to be doing to, uh, to the, the, um, uh, the the participants and are there are there you know different kind of forms for rituals that can be identified and does if there is a similarity of ritual of different types of ritual forms does that seem to suggest that our minds kind of are inclined towards uh, forms of these sorts right uh, and and that's kind of just one one example of of the you know move from the model of cognitive psychology, having it applied specifically to cognitive science of religion, and then how it's used uh, on the ground to try and explain uh, behaviors and practices that that are kind of broadly religious. Hmm. That's a that's yeah. a long answer, man. You got to cut me off if I'm going <laughs> on too long. <laughs> no, you're you're good. You're good. I was I was taking some notes. Um, but when as you were speaking, it reminded me of a conversation I had recently uh, with a friend of yours, uh, Sarah Lane Ritchie. Um, we did an episode called like smells, bells and psychedelics or something like yeah. that. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, but in that, uh, we kind of talked about, as you were saying, kind of like this, like seeming human propensity towards, uh, religion. Um, yeah. and even when you just cited that, like Pew research bit about, you know, whatever percentage you said, um, people like admit to engaging in religious ceremony. Um, I think one thing that Sarah and I talked about, <laughs> that kind of ties into your point is I think even people who aren't necessarily going to church on a Sunday or to mosque or what temple, whatever. Um, I still think if we look just in society, people are doing like religious behaviors, even if it doesn't necessarily have some kind of like deity attached, for example, uh, going to sporting events, it seems very much like a religious ritual to me. Or um, if that one's not as obvious, maybe like, you see these videos, actually, maybe this doesn't happen in Canada. It happens in the U.S. all the time. You see these videos of people singing the national anthem in big stadiums together. And it seems like it has this really religious kind of um, unifying aspect to it, right? Uh, or maybe even something like, I don't know, every Wednesday when the new whatever episode of the TV show you like comes out you and your spouse and your kids sit down and watch it together. That's like, to me, that's still kind of like this ritualistic behavior, even if it's not necessarily tied to I'm praying to a deity or something like that. Um, so like, does that, is that kind of something that like fits into the, the cognitive science bit and then specifically the, the religious aspect? Yeah, I think there's a lot there. I mean, um, I think the kinds of things that you're pointing out, you know, uh, you're pointing out a lot of social practices that that have, 
you know, bits and pieces of them that that kind of feel a lot like what you would get in different religious contexts. Uh, you know, uh, sporting events, uh, the singing of the national anthem. Uh, you've got you know the the ritual. Uh, I mean, um, you know, uh, uh, British soccer games, or you know, and just like the the litany of songs and and uh, the rituals that go along with that, or or just you know, football, most like around the world, basically is is a is a lot like that. Um, and, and so there are events, uh, and, and things, you know, ritual like activities that, that, uh, people participate in that do kind of overlap in some ways with the things that you get, uh, in, in religious contexts. Um, I mean, it's, and different, um, you know, research has been done to kind of compare these types of practices, you know, in what ways are they similar to uh, religious practices? Uh, in what ways are are they different? And, you know, uh, um, you know, cheering for the, the home team, right, might introduce you to uh, a community of uh, people who have, you know, shared interests in this kind of narrow slice of life. Uh, they might, uh, it might introduce you to people that you, you know, have, uh, you know, become, become friends with. Um, but it's, it's an interesting question whether or not the, the, the people that, you know, you go watch the game with, uh, would, um, would you trust them to uh, look after your, your infant child? Uh, would you would you think that uh, they would be uh, um, you know good good life mates uh, just be, because because they cheer for the same team right do that would you see in them you know a community of support that would help you uh, um, navigate kind of a a moral existence right um, uh, could you trust them to defend you against an outgroup? Well, maybe if the outgroup is, you know, people who cheer, you know, cheer for those for, for your hated rival, but uh, but beyond that, you know, people who are really, uh, uh, you know, um, perceived by you as as being an enemy in some respect, and so. Uh, and and that's where I think a, a lot of the you know the 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 parallels uh, start to fade away because there seems to be something in the secret sauce of religion once you've got gods involved, uh, especially uh, the moral uh, moralizing you know high gods of, or what it sometimes are called the big gods who can reward and punish, uh, who are morally interested in your life uh, and who have all these kind of omni powers. Once you start having kind of religion like that. Then it's the the you know the 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 degree of of uh, bonds that are developed and the in group kind of cementing that happens uh, makes a makes you know even the most rabid kind of sports fans and the community that's there uh, seem pretty it kind of pales in comparison because that's just isolated to a specific part of of, of experience and it doesn't transcend into all these other areas that uh, we think you know going in, goes into to to navigating life. Yeah, so here you can you can then uh, settle this ecclesiological argument that I have with my buddy Jace, <laughs> <laughs> my buddy all right. Jace all the time. Yeah. So Jace, yeah. Jace is a good friend of mine. He is uh uh, or I'll call him Doctor Broadhurst. You know, pat his ego okay. a little bit. Um, yeah. He's a he's a pastor, uh, but yeah. he's like uh like an Old Testament like PhD hermeneutics guy. Oh, okay. And yeah. um, he always likes to pick on me when I would you know talk about how 
uh, Full Tilt, for example, the the last um, yeah. uh, brewery that I worked for uh, prior to them closing down uh, kind of became my church for me in a time yeah. in my life when I stepped away from church and found this new community. Um, and so I would mess with them, right? And I'd be like, well, we break bread together. Yeah. We definitely sing and dance together, especially when the uh, <laughs> spirits are yeah. involved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, we uh, are joyful with each other when we when we need to be joyful and we're sad with each other when people need to be sad. And so I'd kind of like try to tie in these like little like yeah. Christian phrases in there. Um, but something that he would always point out is like, yeah, but there's one thing that's missing. Um, and then he would say what that is, is Jesus. So he was mm. like, so your option doesn't count as a church. <laughs> <laughs> so like. So I guess uh, perhaps part of what you're saying is that even though there are those parallels, there seems to be something uh, that happens uniquely when some kind of like transcendent uh, being um, is then introduced into the equation. Is that kind of right? Yeah, I think I think that's one way of of looking at it. I think, um, you know, does uh, does, you know, full tilt church have a salvation narrative, right? Um, does it have kind of uh, um, a way of identifying, you know, who's who, who's part of the community? Um, and uh, um, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I mean, I'm part of a of a of a group. Uh, just a. Um, I have a, a a good friend who for probably close to thirty years has uh, made space available uh, on his farm uh, in his shop, which is outfitted with like a, a little kind of kitchen and a fridge and a seating area. And uh, yeah, Dan's actually come by and visited when he's come up, Dan Coke. And uh, uh, every, you know, every Thursday night, unless uh, our benefactor is, is traveling or away, uh, this space is made available where, you know, anywhere between six and 15, you know, guys, uh, will show up and, uh, you know, our host has the, the fridge stocked with, uh, with, you know, good stuff to drink. Uh, one of the guys in the group, uh, is a foodie. And so he comes with food and, you know, we'll prepare kind of really nice, you know, uh, uh, you know, flavor forward kind of food for us. And, uh, there's no agenda really, though there is kind of a liturgy that that has developed. Uh, and a lot of it is, you know, people who have some connection to uh, a church in their past or in their present. And it's a place for people just to be and hang out and to talk about things that are important to them. And that's, I mean, so it sounds a little bit like full tilt church without the singing and dancing. Because uh, um, we have Mennonite background, right? So we got we got issues there. But, uh, you know, that, that it is, a, that is an interesting question, right? Like, um, what, what, I guess one of, one of the, one of the things, you know, that, uh, is important to some people within church communities is like, is, is there a faith that you can pass down? Right. And is there some kind of legacy that, that can be brought in and like, yeah. Do, so I, I guess if, if there's a defining narrative, to connect your kind of corporate experience to some sense of larger kind of meaning and purpose and transcendence, then I think, uh, you know, you're on, on the, 
organizational spectrum of religious groups, uh, I think you've you've crossed the threshold into uh, ecclesial community, right? Well, and, there we and, go. <laughs> well, and but even even within, I mean, uh, with uh, it would be interesting to ask your friend, uh, Dr. Broadhurst. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go, Chase, Dr. Broadhurst. <laughs> <laughs> ask, ask, ask uh, Dr. B. Ask DB. Um, you know how he would assess different Christian traditions or different denominations or different religious groups where there's not like, uh, 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 you know he's not doubting that they're actually religious uh, or a religion or even a Christian group. But, you know, some are kind of, if you, if you do comparative studies within Christian groups, some are more low stakes, some are higher stakes, right? Uh, some, you know, uh, and, and so there's going to be a, a spectrum there too. Yeah. I, so I'll make one, one more comment on, on what you just said, something that stood out to me. And then I want to kind of circle back on something you talked about. Um, use a phrase like uh like memory and like memory yeah. beliefs was the kind of right. the tool you offered yeah. um but when you were just speaking that you asked a question like early on there where you you said something along the lines of like is there some kind of like narrative or story of salvation um, right. which i think is really interesting because that when i like for my own personal self when i think of uh the christian faith um that like having a good story <laughs> is something mm -hmm. that I think really matters. And yeah. um, I One know it's actually good news. Yeah. And I know like trip harps on this a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And like a trip may or may not have, you know, told different individuals uh, when the spirits are flowing that like there's their story just sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, but I think, I think there really is like, that kind of like story of salvation or something like that, I really do think matters, um, yeah. which is part of why um, I've more recently been allowing things like beauty to play a more significant role um, in kind of the like story of Christianity or like the story that I tell myself um, or even in just kind of finding um like it's been weird because I very much had this like, you know, quote unquote deconstruction experience, um, looked at some other religious stuff. I still do. I still love reading. Um, I read a lot of Buddhist stuff still. I've recently got into some like um, uh, reading more like Jewish authors, like some of the Jewish mystics are a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, but like then like randomly, I just kind of have found myself back in this place where I'm becoming more comfortable using Christian language again, but I'm just yeah. using it in a different way. Uh, but also I have found a community that is telling a more beautiful story uh, with people like yourself and, you know, Dan and Tripp and like that kind of whole um, group of people. So it's, I don't know that, that story aspect or that like story of salvation bit that you pointed to kind of just like jumped out to me. Um, just from like an experiential, um, you know, position, like, oh yeah, that yeah. that is really important. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's uh, kind of an intersection with uh, CSR and just uh, the the points that you were just making. So, so to to say that you know, as uh, Triple Dude with you know with justification on some case on on some occasions where he'll say, well, look that that, that theological story that story just sucks, right? That's just not a good story. I mean sucks is said many ways right like a, a story could suck 
because it's actually a life destroying theological narrative that doesn't, you know, uh, feed your soul in in actual ways that are, are consistent with with you know research about human beings and how how we function and flourish, right? So it might suck in that respect, but that same story might actually make for good good religion, and it might actually good religion in the sense that it uh, uh, it binds people together, uh, it binds people together in an in group. Uh, it binds people together in an in-group in part because uh, it really uh, demarcates the line between who's in and out. Uh, it plays to all sorts of psychological propensities that people have towards, uh, uh, you know, uh, more more straightforward explanatory narratives uh, that, you know, um, uh, have kind of an easy psychological fit with other things that that seem to be easy for us to believe. And so, like, if you want to grow a mega church. Uh, one of the main kind of tools to to do that is to have a charismatic communicator as the leader, uh, and and really spend a lot of time talking about the you're defining who your enemy is, right? And and so and there's there's a way of just kind of drawing drawing people to that uh, that um, will 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 be will be a good story for the purpose of the success of the group, uh, but may not be a good story in the sense uh, it's not necessarily going to, uh, uh, there are all sorts of problems that might come with that in terms of, of, of who you are as a person and your own flourishing. Right. So, so, and, and, um, you know, what, what the, the cognitive science of religion can do is to try and, and generate research and propose some kind of explanations as to, as to why that's the case. Yeah. That, <laughs> that point that you just made has always been something that's like so frustrating to me <laughs> because yeah, yeah. um, it's like, I think that's part of why a lot of the more, um, I don't know, like progressive, I guess, if you want to use that word, uh, kind of like versions of uh, the faith or religion um, tend not to grow as quickly yeah. or yeah. as in large in general is because it's harder to, um, build that kind of group where it's like it's easier the kind of way I've talked about on this podcast before is because I I've noticed like one thing I'd never wanted to be with this podcast is just become a fundamentalist on the other side of the fence just right. now like I'm just saying well now the enemy is like those people right and throw yeah. rocks at that because that's too easy but it does yeah. I could grow this podcast way faster yeah like if I just started you know, defining a clear enemy, talking crap about everyone, like that's easier mm -hmm. to do. <laughs> yeah. And I see that happen a lot and I don't want to do that. Um, well, so that's and, always and, been like frustrating to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and use like uh, Twitter hate to generate uh, buzz. Yeah. Right. So exactly. But, it, <laughs> but, but I mean, um, like, it's funny, like I was just starting to get into um, this type of literature and an acquaintance of mine uh, was involved in kind of leading kind of an emergency kind of church uh, locally. And, uh, you know, it was a great kind of community uh, that, you know, seemed to have a little bit of momentum. Uh, uh, but, you, you know, he and I were chatting one, one day over beers. And I just kind of said, you know, from what I'm kind of reading and learning, uh, like, I, I wished him every success. But when you tell people it doesn't matter if they come or not because you don't want to guilt them right but if you if you have like you know and, and it and it doesn't really matter you know uh how they're kind of being in the world right 
And if like what, <laughs> what CSR kind of suggests is that it's really going to be hard to, 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 to keep people if, if that's kind of the defining kind of, uh, um, ethos of the place. And it's interesting when, when that, uh, when that church started, uh, what they, they had a really strong refrain about, uh, they were not evangelical and a lot of their early kind of preaching and, and teach, you know, kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, place in the local church scene was to say, well, we're not those people. We're not those people. And they kind of had a common enemy that that sustained them for a, a, a good amount of time, especially as they were drawing people who had been, you know, fucked over by these other uh, uh, groups. And so, um, you know, but when that kind, when they tried to kind of figure out what the next big thing was, you know, uh, to kind of move beyond, oh, we're just anti this, uh, when when there was really just such a such a low bar of of, of commitment and 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 I guess the the the, the challenge for pro more progressive spaces is to define a story that's worth uh, you know giving costing you something right whether it's time uh, or uh, or some kind of resource right some something something that is worth uh, pursuing and and to do so in a way that that fits kind of the 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 moral moral vision that you're happy to kind of pursue uh, and to try and expand uh, expand the in group. So anyway, is it just I, I think about that that often as I continue to to kind of read more and, and learn more about these spaces and it all it still seems to to fit. Yeah, that well, that's deeply interesting to me because like I want you know that that was a question that. Um had come to mind as you were speaking, like, is there any kind of hope for these more kind of progressive spaces? Like, can they also learn uh, the value and benefits of um, like this kind of CSR stuff? Uh, because even like, I just remember um, when I was still a pastor, kind of my teaching style that I would yeah. kind of go with. And it, it reflected a lot because I I didn't know what I thought, but also I I thought it was helpful to people is I would kind of um, offer them like, you know, what people sometimes call like a centered set approach. So it'd be like, OK, here's right. the thing that's centering right. us, Jesus. Um, and then pick a topic. Oh, we're talking about atonement where here's seven different atonement theories. <laughs> so kind of lay mm -hmm. them out and then kind of tr try to give people the tools then to go um, like study, research and, and kind of figure it out for themselves. And I was critiqued more than once by some pastor friends of mine, which at the time I thought was just them being arrogant, but I think they actually had something positive. They were trying to communicate something with me like, dude, people want to be told what to believe, <laughs> which right. sounds like at the time I was like, what? Like, I, no, that's like not nice. Like, I don't want to just force people to believe things. Um, but I think there is some kind of truth to that. Like it is easier mm -hmm. for people to look up to somebody who is a perceived expert in something um, right. and say like, Oh, well the pastor said like, no, it is eternal conscious torment. That's where <laughs> I'm, you know, I don't feel like doing the research. I'm going to stick my claim there. This guy seems like, or, or gal, although in this scenario, probably it's a guy um, right. like, <laughs> like is very confident about this seems to know stuff, you know, is quoting Bible verses at me. So it must be this. So it's like, I don't know. It, it 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 takes up less mental energy, and so then like yeah. I feel like people have a tendency to then just go with that. I, I'm talking yeah, out of my ass. I'm trying. No, no, no. <laughs> like I, I think um, I think there's a couple things there. Like um, 
so uh, when I think part part of part of what is attractive in uh, uh, religious spaces is presenting uh, some kind of clear, you know, morally compelling vision that people can accept or reject, right? Um, and I think one of one of the the challenges in some spaces where there is where um, you know because of because like there's a real sensitivity to to the ways that people have been told you know with certainty what that moral vision is and if you reject that 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 vision you know it means you're a bad person then there's kind of a a, a hesitancy to present any kind of moral moral vision right. And so we'll just present seven different views about one thing and uh, let a thousand flowers bloom, right? But if you listen to Tripp, uh, like, you know, does he is he morally neutral about late stage capitalism and the way that it treats uh, the poor, right? You know, um, and and I mean, you you could you could like there there is a, a particular way that that he has of uh, laying out the good news of 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 the you know the the Christian story uh, that uh, is you know love centered, uh, faithful to the tradition, and uh, broadly in inclusive, right? But but it has you know uh, uh, there there are features of it that people can you know tell <laughs> you know whether whether something is is uh, you know aligning kind of with with a, a, a the Christian story or not, right? And and um, so it, it doesn't mean that there's complete uh, hermeneutic subjectivity. And I think that's that's kind of the, the the trick and the challenge, and to be able to 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 do that in a way that is compelling. And I think also, um, so so on the like, you're some people like to be told what to believe, right? And and are not really at all interested in uh, uh, questioning kind of anything beyond, oh, the expert says this, uh, therefore it must be true, right? Um, but uh, what I think, and, you know, like people who are privileged to be able to, to teach others or to be in a, a, a position where, you know, people are listening to you to, to kind of say something, um, I think, you know, on, on the one hand, you, like, you don't want to be that, that, that uh, dogmatic kind of, you know, person who overestimates the, the, the certainty of their own views. But at the same time, it's okay for, you know, people who have spent a lot of time studying that other people don't, don't have the time to do, to just, you know, uh, summarize things. And to kind of present, you know, with uh, as much epistemic kind of humility as as uh, you have, you know, where where you think research leads, right? And I think, um, you know, I, like that's that's, but you want to do it in a way that allows people to take and and what what is going to be uh, useful and life giving for them, right? So, so so I think it's it's okay to tell people, you know, if not what to believe. It's okay to tell people kind of where you know our our, our best minds uh, are uh, with respect to something, and then allow people to kind of make make to to go from there. So so that's kind of like yeah I, I think um, 
Yeah, th this is why I've thought a little bit about this. Like, I think if you're going to look for uh, a philosoph it's, it's a philosophical foundation for, you know, uh, for hermeneutics, both for biblical texts and also for culture and our own experience, um, uh, like I, I think um, Deridian deconstruction gives us uh, some some things, but I think it's probably the the worst for building community because if you think that there is no uh, if everything is 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 purely subjective all the way down, the the secret the, the the trick to try and say well okay, but what's in virtue of what do we get a story that's worth worth pursuing? Uh, it it's, it gets harder to build. Yeah, that's like the like enter constructive postmodernism right that's kind of right this right. move now yeah um mm -hmm. cool okay yeah I, I mean no i like it i think that's that's super helpful and I, I like that distinction um because it is i don't know i think it does it there still is like even when i was kind of teaching and offering these different ways of looking at things i still yeah. like had my opinion about them <laughs> right. like i had which one i thought was good and which ones were right. silly um yeah. and like whenever i would uh start so i'm going to make a, a distinction between like teaching and preaching whenever i would start like mm -hmm. preaching then like right now okay now you see what josh kind of thinks about stuff um <laughs> but i think that's yeah i think that's a helpful distinction um yeah for and i sure. think too like if, if if one of your one of your bedrock principles is you know one of your criteria for um for for good theological framing is you know what's going to generate uh and and motivate a, a life of of non-coercive love right well that's a benchmark right and that's and if that's a line in the sand that you're not willing to erase that's going to uh, allow you to frame you know that that moral vision that people can either accept or reject and it's going to give you a criterion by which you can you know assess different claims right and and to and to present you know, uh, uh, a basis for, um, you know, for sifting out, you know, different theologies or different claims or different ways of reading scripture or different ways of, of treating people. Right. And, and just as long as you're upfront about that, and as long as, you know, a person is, is, uh, um, yeah, humble about the way that they talk about their own assumptions, I think, you know, that's really, that's uh, really the best you could do. I think also, though, like it's interesting your 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 earlier question about you know uh, are progressive communities doomed to to kind of fail in terms like numerically? Um, well, like, I think uh, why why should we why should we I mean care about numerical success and as far as like beyond like i mean you want to be able to have a sustainable you know community but that can be you know uh, it doesn't that does it can be double digits right it doesn't have to be you know uh hundreds and hundreds and i think that model of success like just needs to be abandoned right it just uh, uh i think in in a lot of ways yeah, no, I think that's a, a really good point. I, I, it reminds me of, um, and I forget their, the name of the church, but there's, there's a local church. Um, man, I feel bad because I'm forgetting like their names and everything. Um, but the lead pastor, um, their name is Emily. Don't remember their last name, but this is like a smaller 
progressive church. They are very, their kind of big focus is um, an inclusive and welcoming environment for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And they don't have like massive numbers, right? Like they're, you know, 25, 30 people, something like that. Um, But the, the level of like causal efficacy that they have within the community is massive. Like I see them constantly. Um, And so that's like, that's exciting to me because again, it's, it's even, you know, if you want to tap into some of this, like Jesus language, ah, yeah, um, yeah. he talks about like uh, faith is like a mustard seed or like the kingdom of God is like leaven and bread. Um, So yeah, that's, yeah, I I like that distinction. And it just, you know, brings to mind a community like uh, Emily's um, yeah, that is having a large, um, you know, effect on the community uh, here in Baltimore in really positive ways. And they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, Mark Driscoll with a gajillion people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it'll be like, it'll be really interesting to see um, what, you know, spirituality in these uh, Christian and post-Christian and post-evangelical spaces looks like, uh, you know, over the next 10 years like i think um that just the way that technology has advanced and improved you can develop all sorts of different types of of layers of community right and and so you can have like uh smaller groups of people who connect in real time uh you know on a regular basis and having kind of full tilt church uh but they can you know uh connect uh um you know, virtually to lots of other people or consume different types of, of, of content and connect, you know, um, in, in different ways that, that even 10 years ago were less, less, um, less likely to happen. So. Yeah. So um, within the um, like cognitive science toolbox, yes. um, there's some things. So I like, I've cheated a little bit and like have yeah. listened to stuff that you've said before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but some, <laughs> some, uh, some of the other ones I, I, I found kind of interesting. Um, I think this kind of fits like the toolbox thing, or at least I've heard you talk about before. Um, that specifically plays into the religion stuff is like, yeah. um, our propensity for like meaning making mm-hmm. and also like ascribing agency to things. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought both of those were kind of, um, really interesting, uh, and I was wondering if you would uh, kind of talk about those a little bit. Uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, uh, when CSR was really kind of starting to generate uh, articles and books, and you had kind of theorists proposing different models for, you know, tr- trying to answer these kind of big questions about, well, why as a species do we seem to engage in religious ritual? Or why is belief in an afterlife so pervasive uh, as it, you know, fits within kind of a religious story? Or uh, why is it that that so many, uh, um, you know, people throughout human history and, in, and into today believe in supernatural agents that they can't see or feel or touch in, in standard ways, right? Um, as, uh, you know the 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 first kind of push in this research was to was to kind of pursue this this line of inquiry which is to say well there must be some something about uh how our minds have evolved that makes this very natural right and inclines us towards this way and uh 
following kind of the lead of, of uh, cognitive science, these researchers started to uh, conduct experiments and do cross-cultural work and to try and, and map uh, cognitive processes that seem to be present, right? That seem to actually be part of our own human makeup. Uh, and then to try and understand the role that these cognitive mechanisms would have in supporting religion. And so, like you said, one of the one of the the uh, the, the um, cognitive processes that seemed to be part of our our minds was this uh, idea of agency detection, right? Where uh, very quickly and automatically, when we see certain types of of uh, things, we just assume that there's an agent that did it, right? If you um, uh, if you see some handwriting on a door, or if someone kind of, you know, uh, knocks on your door in this pattern of, right, if I don't know if that comes through, but you hear something like that, you just automatically assume uh, that there's that that there's some some kind of minded agency that's that's behind it. And uh, part, part of the, the language that uh, was used uh, you know, as this was starting to be discussed, was like, well, you can see how evolutionarily it would make sense for us to be able to process things in terms of agents, right? If you are, you know, uh, walking through the savanna and you hear kind of a rustling uh, in the in in the the grasses, or you see, um, you know, the the I had this experience not too long ago, just walking in a, a local park, and you know, here in British Columbia, we get bears every now and then. And so uh, um, I'm, you know, walking in uh, this this kind of beautiful park on a gravel kind of pathway, and there's tall grasses, like about four feet tall, kind of on on either side, and uh, I see the grass kind of moving in a very particular way. I couldn't see the bear, but it sure looked like something was causing it, right? So so you can see how evolutionarily it would make sense to to attribute certain things uh, as an uh, as as if an agent's behind them. Well, uh, that, you know, uh, is, is kind of a, a, a cognitive, uh, mechanism that you think that you might think, you know, evolved for, for a specific purpose of, of, you know, assisting our survival and, and ability to reproduce. It's not necessarily, you know, evolved to, to support religion, but as kind of a byproduct of having that particular cognitive mechanism, when we, you know, uh, see, you know, someone get struck by lightning, perhaps you might think, oh, there's an agency behind that. Or, you know, some kind of natural phenomenon that has kind of a, a pattern to it. Uh, it would just be natural to kind of look at that natural phenomenon as if as if there was some kind of unseen, there, there's some kind of agent there. And, and now you get to unseen agents, supernatural agents that have powers and abilities to, to do things, right? So that's, that's kind of one one tool. Uh, the other one was um, I don't know. Did you want to jump in at all, or or should I just jump on to to purpose and meaning? Um. Well, no. I think I think that's good. So here I'm. I'll tell you what I'm trying to do, and then I'll okay. let you uh, yeah. tap into the meaning making. So right. basically, I am trying to build up a case to. Essentially, I want to ask you, like, okay, well, since humans do this, then like, obviously. Like God's not a thing. This is just what humans do. So I'm trying to right. kind of like build up this like kind of like kind of yeah. argumentation. And then, you know, I'm going to I know you have something to say to that and also kind of right. want to flip that on its head. But I'm I'm trying to like build the tension for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's some behind right. the so, scenes listeners. You're welcome. <laughs> all right. 
uh, way to pull the curtain back. <laughs> yeah. So um, it does also seem like uh, um, part of our own kind of cognitive architecture is uh, the capacity that we have to attribute purpose to things. So uh, the idea that in this kind of cliche phrase, you know, everything happens for a reason, uh, has kind of a, a lot of, of cognitive resonance for us because we see um, uh, we seem, you know, cognitively geared towards attributing purposes to things. Uh, it happens uh, early. It appears early on uh, in in development. Um, um, and this is, you know, an example that gets widely discussed on, on in CSR contexts. But you know, uh, experiments uh, done by uh, Deb Kellerman and uh, colleagues, where you know they would have children in, uh, uh, you know, um, I forget exactly the age where this is appearing. I'm feeling like it's around four, but I could be mistaken. But you know, they'll ask them a whole series of, of questions. Uh, you know, asking kind of why questions uh, and like, why are the rocks so pointy, right? And the the reason that would be given is that, well, you know, so that the animals don't sit on them, right? And so you get all sorts of, of purposive kind of kind of explanations where the explanation uh, given for some event is 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 because you know what's observed fits it fits a larger purpose, and uh, it is this kind of net. Kind of cognitive default we have to give uh, purposive explanations, um, you know, is persistent across lifespan. Uh, it's it, it is widespread even in people who are not uh, uh, religious, right? And and so there's interesting interesting studies done uh, with uh, atheists and agnostics who uh, would themselves not attribute any kind of grand purpose uh, in, you know, to, to, to life or to events or to, or, you know, not look to, you'd think they would not be inclined to give purpose of explanations, but when they are performing tasks that, uh, you know, put them under cognitive load where, where they have to give kind of the default intuitive answer, they can't kind of slow down and reflect and think uh, they too will just default to, to uh, answering questions in terms of, of purpose, right? And so uh, it's it's a very, you know, um, theologically natural question for believers to ask, well, what are the what are, what are the purpose behind the events that I'm going through, especially if you're going through shitty times or you're trying to figure out, you know, trying how to how to make sense of, of your own experience. But I guess uh, what CSR wants to point out is that uh, even more basically than it being theologically natural, it's a very it's a very human question to ask what is the purpose because we we need to put things into a a, a a sense of purpose. We default to quick and purposive explanations because we find them satisfying, and so that too, you know, with agency detection uh, and this kind of of uh, reasoning style that we have to tell stories of of purpose. Uh, you know, you put those together in the same kind of toolbox, which is our minds, uh, and it and it does seem to to make it very. It does seem to incline us toward um, uh, uh, religious ways of of thinking. So that, like, because I've again, I've I've heard you speak about these kind of things before, and and you bring up, or I've heard you bring up this kind of idea then of like this, like kind of like dual process model of the brain, yeah. Yeah. And so that's like, I'm going to do my best to try to explain that. And I think, it, I think that's basically what like Roger, is it Roger hate Jonathan hate, sorry. 
um, that like Dan goes on and on about, or at least he used right. to. I don't know if he's still as as much of a fan uh, a fanboy, but um, he kind of uses this model of like the elephant in the rider, and I think that's he's talking about the same kind of thing, right? That's just like his like yeah. metaphor for it. So it's like kind of basically, um, we tend to think or like to think that as humans we're like these deeply rational beings, um, but actually it might seem that we tend to be a bit more emotional um then we'd like to give ourselves credit for and so with the dual process bit is you have like this um affective or like split second kind of like you don't think about it response to things and then you also then can have a rational response however the like split second um response obviously happens first and then the rational aspect of our brain uh, seeks to justify kind of the emotional response we already had and so what it sounds like when you're talking about things like meaning making and describing agency, these kind of things um, are happening within the more like um, emotional or like affective parts of the brain where like, you know, for example, in that that study you shared with even like atheists or agnostics, when they're put under like heavy cognitive load, um, they're kind of defaulting to these like meaning making or ascribing purpose is that kind of. Is, it, is that right? Like, is that the kind of the idea here? Yeah, um, I've, there's there's lots of overlap with kind of the the things that you were saying and and what the the CSR kind of literature suggests. So maybe a, a good place to start is um, to as you talked about uh, dual processing. So uh, many psychologists are happy to talk about uh, dual processing models of uh, or uh, of human cognition. And what they mean by that uh, is that it, it seems to make sense to talk about a certain set of cognitive processes that are are quick and fast, uh, automatic, don't require a lot of priming, uh, and they generate uh, content for us uh, in a, um, a largely kind of pre-reflective, uh, you know, way of, 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 navigating the world right it's not a, a lot of um what what they would talk about here is uh, you know cognitive mechanisms that we have that you know generate content for us it, uh, that our brains use to process information that a lot of which we're not even really kind of reflectively uh, aware of right uh, and so um sometimes that's called system one I'm kind of hesitant with language here because it's it's pretty clear that even even people who adopt kind of a dual process model for for the for the mind we don't what we don't what we don't want to do is kind of give the impression that there are you know system there are you know uh system one parts of the brain and and slower kind of reflective system two parts of the brain it gets much more uh, distributed than that it's more kind of a, a of a, a spectrum but I do but I do think like you know, and and this this seems pretty uncontroversial that uh, you, you know there are some cognitive processes that are pre-reflective and they're quick and automatic, and we'd have and they take very little kind of priming to get them going. And it also does make sense to say that, but apart from that, there are also uh, other types of of uh, cognition that is much more uh, effortful. It's slower. Uh, it's reflective. It's when you're focusing attention on a particular particular uh, uh, type of content, and you're thinking it through. Uh, you're forming an argument, and that seems to be a different different type of process. And so sometimes that goes by the name of system two, 
And so when when you're talking about a dual pro, dual uh, uh, process uh, account of the mind, it's just paying attention to this to the fact that sometimes you know our our brain is spitting out uh, uh, quick and automatic uh, uh, intuitive kinds of beliefs. Sometimes into they go by the name just just our our cognitive intuitions. And there are other types of processes that just seem to be slower and more effortful and and, ref, and reflective. So sometimes the the way to kind of to think about it is uh, you know intu intuitions versus kind of reflect of content and hmm. and so uh you know you talked about jonathan Haidt's work and um you know he is specifically the the stuff that you're referencing you know the elephant and the riders is specifically uh connected to you know how it is that that we form uh, beliefs about morality right and and uh, you know, one of uh, heights, one of the things he's he's really known for is this idea, exactly as you said, that when it comes to our moral judgments about the world, you know, we like to think of ourselves as cool, reflective, rational people who, when it comes to, well, what's the moral, you know, what do I think about the morality of this or the morality of that, or that person did something, was that right or wrong? Uh, we like to think of ourselves, uh, particularly in the West, as guided by reasons. And, you know, the kind of the uh, the autonomous kind of rational mind that's thinking through these things. But what Haidt suggests through our research is that that model is kind of bullshit. And that what seems to happen is that uh, we have uh, an intuitive emotional response to a, to a scenario. And that gives us kind of a pro attitude or a con attitude to it. And then when reflective reasoning kicks in, we're just reading off uh, what the emotion is telling us and trying to find a story to tell that allows us to go with that initial emotional kind of response. So, so it's not like um, our, intu our, our intuitive system one types of beliefs on the dual processing model is, is just affective or emotion. It's a whole range of intuitions that we have about, you know, uh, it could be perceptual, it could be all sorts of other things. It's just anything that, that is, uh, is, is, you know, quickly and intuitively spit out uh, in, our, uh, in our brains. Uh, and and emotions definitely are part of that, uh, though. Emotions are interesting because, I mean, uh, you can reflectively think through some event, right? Slow down in an effortful way that can be saturated with emotional content, right? Like uh, that that can be you know, you you think about uh, something really sad that that happened to you, and you know, you're, you slow down and you, you kind of ask yourself why, uh, and you might kind of just be remembering something that you're kind of thinking through in a, in a, in a real kind of focused and attentive way. And it's still, it, there's still the emotional content there too, right? Even though it's, even though it's, uh, you might say you're, you're really kind of letting reflective cognition drive the ship. So, so I would say you could have, um, uh, affect, you know, uh, on, uh, across kind of the uh, the cognitive kind of spectrum, but but a lot of the kind of that that initial response, you know, that height is talking about is is emotive. So then you apply this to religion, right? So height's not necessarily talking about religion per se, but uh, what you do, what a lot of these CSR people are, are talking about though, is that <laughs> the cognitive mechanisms that are that seem to be most salient for religion are these intuitions, are these intuitive ones that you know um, uh, are are generating cognitive content 
for us that in, that is just very quick and automatic, right? So agency detection, uh, you know, um, this kind of purpose of reasoning that that we talked about. Another one that we didn't talk about was uh, what sometimes is called theory of mind, and basically what theory of mind is referring to is our propensity as humans to have a theory about what's going on in other people's minds. And a lot of this has to do with facial recognition, right? So we we are geared towards reading faces and to navigating social spaces and, and to read all sorts of nonverbal cues uh, because, you know, we evolved out of social groups before we really had uh, language, right? And so that still is, is part of 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 our of our human makeup and you know i i um read all sorts of cues about uh, what you're thinking or feeling or doing just based on how i what what i what i see in your face and um uh doesn't mean i'm accurate but it, but i but i can't help but do that based on uh on what i what i visually see and so there's interesting research to kind of, you know, explore this, uh, the role that theory of mind may have in religious contexts, right? Like, uh, we, you know, um, it's like, there's, there's interesting kind of research to, to try and suggest, you know, how, how does, uh, theory of mind facilitate kind of prayer lives right like if you have if you have a an active ability to uh to really if you have a rich theory of mind right and you are you are highly active in you know reading all thinking all sorts of things might be true just based on kind of a quick glance at a face does that you know support uh your ability to conceive of god right and to think through um uh you know a supernatural agents as having mental states and to read all sorts of other kind of cues uh and uh, and that kind of stuff so so theory of mind is another one right that that is is quick and automatic and i don't i'm not forming any type of argument when you know i see someone with with, with a furrowed brow uh uh you know and and kind of just scrunched up face like oh that dude's pissed right or all sorts of stuff like it's just you can't help but form that belief just because uh, it's just kind of spit up, spit up out for us. And so, so, so kind of the, the earlier models in CSR were saying, well, look, I mean, seems to just make sense when you have a species that has, you know, agency detection, which may have evolved to kind of help us, you know, ward off predators. Uh, you have kind of, uh, you know, this propensity to, to put things into a, 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 a uh, a wider purpose or to see events as happening for a purpose because we find that cognitively very satisfying. And, you know, we have this ability to, to, to just, you know, assume that things, you know, that, that agents in our world have mental states. You kind of put all those tools together in the same box. Uh, it gives us a very natural uh, way of, of supporting kind of religious beliefs and, and practices. Now, it's not like, uh, and, and so on this model that I'm telling uh, it's kind of a, it's it's called a, a byproduct model. Uh, we, it's not like we evolved to form religious beliefs. It's not like natural selection had kind of religion in view as it's kind of guiding us through through uh, time and space. But rather, you put these tools in the in the same uh, toolbox, which each each of which was selected for. Right, it was kind of the product of selection pressures over time. You put them in the same toolbox. It's like oh, uh, it kind of religion pops out as kind of a byproduct. We're not necessarily hardwired for religion, but it just makes it very, it just inclines us uh, in this in this kind of uh, propensity to towards it. 
but that I mean, so that's that's kind of uh, one of the 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 initial kind of pushes in this research was was to support these byproduct views. The it's interesting in the last decade or more, people have kind of pushed back against that somewhat uh, because some of the early theorists, the way that they would talk, it was almost like it was biologically determined that we would have have religious beliefs. And what uh, a lot of the research now has tried to to point out is that well, um, you know we are enculturated people as well. And while the mind might not be a blank slate, uh, we are certainly subject to, uh, you know, the cultural trans inheritance that we have. We don't, we don't just have a biological inheritance through our genes. We also have a cultural inheritance through uh, the transmissions of, of knowledge that is, you know, passed down generation over generation. And that, and that kind of influences um, uh, our, uh, 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 you know, our religious life as well. Yeah. So like, that's, that's kind of like the, the idea where like, okay, so I happen to be born, be born to two like middle-class parents in America who were Christians. And so like, right. That played a role. Whereas if like I was For born sure. somewhere in the middle East, perhaps I'd be a Muslim or something like that. Right. Um. So with, Within the CSR research, and as you were talking, I was, is there anything that kind of points to people having, like, maybe this is a difficult question to answer, but like, are people, like, can, <laughs> I don't know how to ask it. Can you see, <laughs> like, so it seems like some people are drawn towards specific images or pictures of God. Yeah. So within CSR, are there any is there any kind of like explanatory uh, power or something like that to say like, OK, so my friend over here who really sees God as like a judge and, you know, pluralism is the worst thing. Eternal conscious torment is obviously true. Like, is there some kind of explanatory power within CSR to say like, OK, well, that this person thinks like that for maybe a number of reasons, whereas like, okay, and this person over here sees God more as a loving friend or parent and is more universal in their thinking. Like, is there any kind of explanatory powers to like why someone might be more inclined towards a specific view of God or of the divine, yeah, whatever they want to call that? Yeah. I think um, beyond even just uh, what, uh, CSR might say, I think uh, even just, um, you know, social psychology more broadly or things like, uh, uh, you know, personality variability that that uh, that there is. Uh, and so, um, you know, psychologists use different scales to to measure uh, cognitive profiles. And uh, one of the um, one of the things that uh, is measured is um, uh, absorption, right? And by absorption, uh, uh, I believe I'm I'm going to butcher the, the the definition here, but but I think um, it's this ability that you have to be able to focus on on something and tune out other other things. It's, um, but there's also kind of an affective dimension there too. And, you know, there's interesting correlations between people who score high on absorption and uh, their propensity to sense God's presence, right? And so there's, there are, you know, lots of different uh, psychological measures 
that um, uh, can be used to understand, uh, you know, individual variability that exists. And then also to notice that, you know, people with certain types of, of psychological profiles are just going to be naturally more drawn to certain types of, of uh, religious kind of context. I mean, um, you might think that certain types of of neurodiversity might make it challenging to be in worship spaces where there's just a shit ton of noise going on all the time, right? Like, and and that's not going to be you know particularly satisfying or edifying. And um, you know, in some you know religious contexts, that might be looked down upon as as a as a deficiency in the person but at the same time it's just like a psychological you know it's there's 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 no there's no blame to be had if someone can't tolerate a, a particular kind of of in, environment because uh it just makes it challenging to process noise in a particular way right so so um so that so i think there's there's lots of rich psychology that can be utilized uh, in to kind of understand people's religious experiences. I think um, another thing that uh, is becoming part of of the uh, psychological awareness of religious communities is just the whole um, you know uh, just sensitivity to trauma informed methods, right? And the experiences of people, and to have kind of trauma informed theological practices and sensitivities, is just you know applying good psychology for uh, for spiritual uh, purposes, right? And and you know Dan Koch's work on uh, spiritual abuse, right? And understanding that. I mean, there's there's lots of ways that uh, can you know where. Um, uh, psychological methods can be used as a, as a tool to help understand um, uh, what's going on for people uh, theologically. Now, having said that, like, um, so I have this kind of this research interest and in, and uh, in, you know, psychology, cognitive science of religion, uh, and, you know, using social scientific methods to study religion. I also have um, uh, a research interest just in, under, in in philosophy of science more broadly and, and just philosophy of natural science uh, and kind of foundations of, of um, you know, practices in natural science in general and chemistry in particular. And so I always want to say, like, um, we learn things from psychology uh, and we we do learn things from uh, these kind of social scientific approaches to studying religion. Uh, but sometimes we don't know exactly what we know uh, and we don't know with, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, the same kind of precision that we get in physics and biology and chemistry, right? And that's not to shit on psychology. It's just to point out that, uh, you know, comparatively as a scientific discipline, uh, these psychological methods uh, there's, are are just not as not as precise, and there is a sense in which they're in their infancy, and the tool the the tools that we have you know aren't quite as precise. And also, it could also be that the the subject matter, namely humans humans embodied humans, you know, with uh, complex brains and histories, that are more complex than studying kind of the molecular structure of carbon, for example. Like like it's just you know so so. 
I don't I don't want to give the impression uh, to you or your listeners that you know CSR you know is is as uh, a firm a science as what we get in these other areas. And so we do learn things, and I think it's just kind of an evolving um, um, science. And I think that you know CSR thirty years from now will look probably pretty different than than what it does today, as it kind of builds incrementally on 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 research that's that's been done. Hmm. Yeah, that's um. That's helpful, Myron. Uh, thank you. Because I I know for me specifically, I have a tendency to kind of fall into the trap of like, oh, well, like I heard this thing about psychology and like now, I, you know what I mean? Or like, but yeah. just in that, like me in general, though, which is kind of why I like uh, <laughs> like some of the like the process stuff where I'm trying to remind yeah. myself of this, right? That right. it's like, yeah, and kind of create this room for openness and and change and growth and, and humility. Um, and so I kind of, I wanted, um, I kind of have like two more questions I want to ask you. All right. Um, one of them is going to try to like pull together, like kind of everything we talked about into like a sharp okay. point and then ask you All a right. question about it. And then one is a little bit more just um, like personal in regards to like um, how CSR has benefited uh, your own faith kind of. Sure. Um, uh, and so the kind of, one thing that could be said based off this conversation, and I think this is a position some people take, and you've even said this in the interview, um, is kind of, this could all kind of point to the idea, and I don't remember who said this, but like, oh, if, if um, like, even if God doesn't exist, like people would invent God, <laughs> um, right. kind of like CSR can kind of point to that. And then some people might just be saying like, okay, well, like my brother-in-law, for example, um, studied psychology and stuff in in uh, college and grad school, and his position is like, oh, well, that's just like that's just what people do, um, right. and that's fine. It doesn't really. That's just what people do, um, or maybe another way. Oh, actually, you know what? I won't. I won't ask it that way. I'll say like, how how does CSR and like how do you see it? Like, what is your perspective? Do you think it's just like okay? Well, this is just like a thing people do, so like it's probably just all bullshit. Um, or like kind of, yeah, like what, what's your, your thought process there? Well, so I think the, um, probably, probably the way to kind of put the, the point you're gesturing toward the most, uh, precisely as a, as a potential, you know, problem for some ways of thinking about faith is that, you know, on one, one way of reading the CSR kind of literature is to say, uh, you know, imagine imagine two two possible worlds, right? Uh, one, you know, where humans as a species have kind of the the cognitive life that that we see in the actual world, uh, you know, and you have these different kind of mental tools, you know, give give or take the way psychology is described them, the way CSR is described them, and you have kind of the the religious life of our species exactly the way that that we see it in the actual world right so that's so that's you know possible world number one and assume that in that world god exists right so and you can tell different theological stories to kind of you know embed that or support that but what's what csr kind of you know you might think says is that imagine a second possible world that looks 
ex exactly the same as the first one in terms of our own cognitive architecture, the cognitive mechanisms that we've had ha that have evolved for different purposes. There's the same kind of religious life that we see in possible world number one, uh, the same kind of level of, of religious kind of participation and the cognitive processes that, you know, support and sustain religious beliefs and behaviors, right? It's just that in that second world, God doesn't exist, right? And what CSR is saying is that, well, uh, you know, that that second world is a live option based on on what we seem to know about about human minds, right? Like, what you know, whether or not there is a God, CSR might predict that the 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 religious life of our species would look pretty much the same way that it does. It gives a story that explains, you know, why even if there were no God, you might see a species that has is as highly religious as as uh, as you know where we find ourselves, right? And so uh, and and a lot of people uh, when faced with that, you know that that th those two scenarios, they just will find themselves just jumping into that second option, right? Because, you know, maybe, they they think that the possibility of that second world undermines any plausibility for that first one, right? Just because you can have these two stories and nothing about the CSR is going to incline you towards one or the other, uh, you know, independently, uh, they're you're just going to find find themselves, you know, in thinking that the actual world is really world number two, you know. Uh, the relig pervasive religious life that we have, CSR explains why that's so. Uh, and uh, if there were no God, it would look pretty much the same as a world as if, as, as if there, you know, God, God did exist. And so I, I think, like my own kind of thinking at present on that on that exact question, is that um, I I do think that what CSR, you know, as developed as it is and what it kind of inclines us toward thinking is that, yeah, that second world might be the way that things are, right? It, it might actually be true that even if there were no God, uh, the religious life of our species would kind of look pretty much the same as it does uh, in, in that world number one, which is God inclusive. Um, and so I guess the question is, if that's true, if, if both, you know, if both worlds are as equally plausible, uh, what does that tell us about what we should think is true? And and um, one of my first kind of forays into this field was to try and wrestle with that question. And, and the way I kind of put it um, is, you know, does cognitive science of religion uh, support atheism, right? Does, should, should, should the science kind of make us think that that world number two is more plausible than world number one? And uh, so 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 uh in in kind of an um a philosophy article that I worked kind of some of these questions are I actually I came to the conclusion that the answer is no and and uh the way I kind of uh, landed was that some people try and use CSR to actually support belief in God they'll and they'll use things like oh well we have this kind of natural propensity uh, and it's actually atheists who are the ones that are in the minority and they're the ones who should feel like you know their their position is actually somewhat uh, they bear a burden of proof because, you know, everyone is kind of wired to, to or not wired, but has this propensity to believe in God that must, there must be something there. 
So, so I actually think that that's, that's not right either, right? I don't think that the science supports atheism. I don't think that it supports theism. But what I do think it does is that if, if you are an atheist, and if you find yourself uh, inclined towards atheism or agnosticism, what CSR does is it gives you a nice story to tell, right? It gives you uh, a, a uh, a way of explaining all, all sorts of aspects of human behavior that don't require postulating the existence of God. Uh, and, it, and it gives you something that I call kind of intellectual aid and comfort. So I don't think it, I don't think it proves atheism. I don't think it raises the probability that atheism is true. Um, but if you are an atheist, it, it gives you intellectual aid and comfort, right? And I think uh, on the flip side, you know, I don't think that anything in this science presents or provides a good argument for belief in God. But I think that if you are inclined towards belief in God, what the science does is it gives you a set of tools to understand and explain people, right? And it gives you a set of tools to understand and explain your own experience uh, and in ways that can be can be utilized for all sorts of, of, of purposes. Like for me, for example, like earlier, what CSR did, you know, in, in thinking through the experience of my friend who was trying to, you know, uh, launch this kind of progressive church kind of, you know, <laughs> gave me a set of tools to try and understand kind of his experience and, you know, uh, possibly why, why things kind of fizzled out or in another context, it like, it's helped me understand why, you know, fundamentalist hard doctrine mega churches are just so attractive to people. Right. And it kind of, in some way, makes me a little bit more charitable to people who uh, are are in those spaces, because, you know, it's like there's a sense in which a lot of that, the, the you know, they, they are just trying they're they're ticking a lot of psychological boxes that people have. Right. Um, and so so, you know, if you are inclined to believe in God, what CSR does is it provides some kind of kind of tools for for conceptual analysis. But I don't think it, it I don't think it really you know supports one or the other just in virtue of of the science that we have. So that's kind of where where I land. Um, and and but that that question kind of was the one that that drew me into the discipline uh, at first because I th I think it's an important one and I think it's the kind of thing that like you know as we become more comfortable in Christian spaces, talking about uh, evolution, talking about, um, you know, the evolution of, of our own kind of psychology, as we uh, become more comfortable just, you know, recognizing kind of uh, the psychological makeup that we have and how much, how much, how so much of what, how we experience of the world is just driven by mechanisms and processes that we really don't have any conscious kind of reflection on. Like once, I think as, as we become more comfortable talking about those things, it kind of turns the temperature down on, on a lot of these, these more uh, uh, divisive kind of existential questions. At least that's, that's kind of, you know, you have to get to a certain comfort level with that though. Yeah, no, I think, um, it's interesting because when I think about it, like try to think back, like if Josh from seven years ago or something yeah. like that, five years ago yeah. was having this conversation with you uh, versus mm -hmm. me today, I think it would, I would have very different kind yeah. of uh, feelings and responses. Uh, whereas now this is more exciting to me and intriguing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, maybe five years ago, it would have been very threatening. Um, but what I think is interesting for me is I kind of like, 
with your two world um, yeah. kind of imagery that you used. Yeah. I like that because sometimes depending on if I'm having a good day or not, I feel like yeah. I can oscillate between the two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what what is so cool about the fact that they're almost um, basically identical, except one kind of lacks God, but the other one that's still the religion is still present. Um yeah is that it kind of ties back into that thing we talked about earlier about having a helpful story. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and Trip made, I thought made this point very well uh, in a panel he did recently. Um, that, that panel from, uh, the YHP event with the big five. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, whatever. yeah. 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 Where, um, Trip basically was talking about like, yeah, like, you know, in the context of raising kids, uh, there's still going to be stories that right. influence and shape and disciple, uh, people regardless right. and so he was like right. if you think he made what do you say like if you think uh penal substitution is bad wait until capitalism tells you how much of a piece of shit you are like yeah no exactly the, right that's right yeah right. and so like that two world imagery kind of like helps that for me and it's like okay well like even on days when i'm really struggling and i i don't yeah. you know maybe i find myself in world two um this story yeah. still is providing beauty it's providing meaning it's yeah. connected with me with some amazing people. Hopefully it, you mm -hmm. know, it's made my life better. Hopefully it's made the lives of those around me better. And yeah. that seems worth it to me. Like this yeah. story is good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to yeah. keep, keep doing that kind of thing. So that's, yeah, that's exciting to me because that's kind of where I, I kind of go yeah. with it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the best versions of, of the Christian story and, you know, the best aspects and, and selective ways we can appropriate or, or select from the tradition uh, can support a, a life that pursues, you know, love, justice, and mercy, right? And and to help us, uh, you know, be bound together with with uh, like-minded people in common cause to, 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 to pursue those things. And, um, yeah. So it's, it's, it kind of, so the initial kind of driver for the question was, well, does CSR mean all it's all bullshit? None of it's true. And uh, I think kind of where we've landed is to say, well, uh, what CSR does uh, is uh, provide um, uh, a set of tools when we don't feel like we can answer the question of whether it's true or not. Right. Or, you know, it, or determine, you know, with, with certainty, whether we're, we inhabit world one or world two. And if you are oscillating between the two, it still gives you a, a reason to uh, inhabit spaces of world one if you find that to be to be part of your own space. But it's funny though, like um, uh, the first time I was on any podcast was on You Have Permission. Uh, and we kind of had very similar conversations, uh, Dan Koch and I. and. <laughs> in you know he records his intro kind of after right and in his intro he mentions how uh it kind of messed him up a little bit right just talking about these scientific you know explanations for for um for aspects of religious life because it, it kind of just you know it 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 uh it, it gave him pause in, in exactly the same kind of natural ways that you're you're thinking about or that you mentioned you know se you know seven years ago you'd have a different kind of reaction yeah, and it's it's so interesting too. I don't I mean, I guess it just this is more like a, a psychology thing, but like I I remember like I heard that interview. Yeah. Like I listened to it. I've been listening to you have permission since it started. Um, and it's just interesting now how like that 
I listened to it. I remember listening to the whole thing and be like, oh, this is cool. But like it, those like that was almost like to use Christian language, like maybe some seeds were planted in the past and like it wasn't yeah. like maybe I wasn't ready to hear that kind of stuff at the time. Whereas now it feels like I'm more open to it. I don't know. And so now I'm like, oh, yeah. yes, like, you know, beat myself up like, Josh, why didn't you just listen to that? Really listen to it. <laughs> like when You know, back then it might have helped. But also it's just like the way I talk about it um, on the podcast. And this is a little bit more like woo woo language is just like. Um, it's all just a part of like the process of becoming, um, these are all just yeah. like different and like, I don't know, finding grace for past versions of Josh, um, yeah. has been really, really kind of helpful. Um, and I know like, I'm going to need grace for today's version of Josh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even tomorrow. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though. And, and like, uh, you know, as I've gotten to know people like you and Dan and Tripp and Sarah Lane Ritchie and and Siri uh, Martin Concepcion, um, uh, you know, just just people who are contributing content to uh, you, you know, that that makes sense of today's world and uh, a certain type of way of of thinking through the the Christian story. Um, I, I mean, what what helps a uh, navigate a lot of that is just knowing that, you know, and, um, there are, there are people who are, um, just really trying to pursue a life of, of, of love that makes sense in a Christian context and that there are ways of doing it that, that resonate and that, um, you know, what, uh, so I think, yeah, I think those are, those are, those are really great things. Yeah, no, it, it, for sure. And it's, it's cool. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've said this a million times and, you know, not to inflate their egos, but people like two people that you mentioned, like uh, Dan and Trip. I kind of, I found Trip later after Dan. Um, yeah. But like the, the role that they have played in my mm-hmm. own um, faith journey or experience has been, has been really big. Um, yeah. Like, I don't think I've, said this on the podcast before but i was i was like about to hang up my shoes so to speak on this podcast like i was in a place where i was like i don't i can't keep doing this like having these public discussions when like i don't even know what the fuck is going on is too difficult (laughs) and i you know i called dan and i uh, i talked to dan on the phone and i was like dan look man like i'm really struggling i don't know if i can keep doing this um but like you were kind of the inspiration for starting the podcast um would you do the last episode with me and he was like totally down um and so like it was set like i was gonna shut it down i canceled all my interviews i told some really cool guests that like probably i can't ask back on now because i also told him to fuck off not in that you know direct of a way (laughs) but like hey i'm not doing this anymore in in Um, the name of jesus in the name of jesus right yeah exactly i learned that from mark driscoll um (laughs) uh but basically um, so, so what was, what was the, what was the main driver there? Like, was it just too hard existentially or, or you weren't yeah, sure I, that I you wanted to identify as Christian at that point? Or were you just thinking through, it was just too psychologically damaging to your soul to have these heat to you get put through the ringer every time? Yeah. I was just in like a dark place and I didn't know what I yeah. believed or thought. And I didn't know how to continue forward. And I didn't yeah. have like, I've always had motivation to 
to do this, right? Like I've always yeah. had motivation to talk to cool people and blah, blah, blah. And when that kind of went away, um, you yeah. know, yeah. that sucked. And then, but to to kind of continue that something, and I don't know if I've ever expressed this to Trip, so I know he listens, but um, I told Trip that I was no longer doing the podcast and he basically was like, dude, well, I'm, I'm super bummed about that because like, one, I enjoy it, which I was like, you listen to the podcast. That's insane to me. <laughs> um, but two, he was like, I wanted to invite you to this like theology beer camp thing. Um, <laughs> and there was something about having somebody like Trip, who I looked yeah. up to, who had been so helpful in my life, kind of give mm-hmm. me, I get a provide meaning back into what I was doing. That was really cool. And so that yeah. kind of, I was like. That, I don't know. That kind of gave me a spark once again to say like, okay, maybe this is is a thing. So shout out to those two. I'm not kissing your ass anymore after this. Um, we're done. That's all the nice words I'm saying about Trip and Dan uh, forever. Now we have to do like 10 minutes of talking shit about both of them and then we'll... <laughs> <laughs> well, but before we get to no. that, uh, <laughs> like um, Theology Beer Camp though, like was just such a, a life-giving space, you know, for for so many people in lots of different ways. And uh, I imagine like, I'm just trying to, I'm so I didn't know that that was kind of your experience heading into that. Right. Or that that's kind of where your headspace was. And so now I'm kind of thinking like, Oh man, like that, that must've been, well, maybe uh, here's a question. Like I'm assuming then it was kind of like, uh, like tonic for a parched soul just to be around, you know, in excess of 300 people, um, all these podcasters all experiencing kind of a, a, a diversity and unity in Christian kind of uh, experience and expression that that uh, I, I think about it often. And I'm just wondering, like, is was it did you come out of that really feeling like, OK, you could you could you could pod another day? Oh, big time. Yeah, big, big time. It It just. Well, one, it that was kind of a solidification where it was like, okay, now I feel like I have found a group again that I can like belong to. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I don't know. It's, it sounds weird to say, it, but like, I, I, <laughs> I just, I, it's, it's very humbling to me that, uh, people who before I knew them had such a big influence, um, on me in my life. Now I mm-hmm. like, Count them friends. Roll with them, basically. Yeah, count them as friends. And the kind of like, I don't know, like the love and acceptance that they have shown me kind of is like in a way like they're putting their money where their mouth is. Like they're not bullshitting because like the way they talk on the podcast and that kind of stuff in real life, like that's them. Like it's awesome. And so that that was really helpful having that that group and that community. And then also just um, as someone who like, I, my self-esteem is like non-existent. And so like (laughs) having, having people at beer camp come up and be like, Josh, your show has been so meaningful and helpful to me. That like blew my mind. Um, cause you know, I have a tendency to be like, oh, well, like, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have listeners like Bible for normal people does or like trip gets or Danny or whoever, you know? Um, and so there's kind of like this negative, like comparison thing that can happen, um, but even just like 
like I know it's so trite and it's like some like youth pastor bullshit that people say like, oh, even if it <laughs> impacts one person, but like there's so much truth in that. Like even just having one person come up and be like, dude, this has been so helpful. Yeah. Was just so encouraging. And it was like, okay, well, like let's, let's keep at it. And then just continuing to foster the relationships that I built there um, and have fun conversations uh, like the one we're currently having. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, I I think back to something Trip said uh, on that that panel you referenced, but like um, some of the best sermons that he's heard have been in rooms with like fifteen to twenty people, right? And so like and and how he gets a little creeped out by the how many downloads kind of you know uh, conversations that that people can have. But um, so one thing that I'm like, would would your buddy Jace? Uh, DB, uh, would he think, uh, what, 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 so maybe, maybe, maybe there, maybe he, you know, uh, would kind of disparage full tilt church, but what about, uh, what about God pod church? Like if it would, if you could identify kind of a community of love and support from, from, um, uh, from that kind of, you know, community, uh, would he, where would he land on that? Because Jesus is present there in ways that they that is it, it's part of the the conversation uh, there in ways that um, that they wouldn't be in in other contexts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think he sees the. I think he sees the the good potential and the the, the fruits that have come yeah. um, out of being a part of like this God Pod community. I like that. You, use that phraseology because it's true like i didn't only just get to connect with like nick and dan but i've become friends with like uh, like tim whitaker from new evangelicals like um yeah. he even came and like visited full tilt him and noah you know oh no uh, way who, like yeah so it was like super cool um or it's like yeah all sorts of different people like uh joshua noel does a podcast or will rose or like all these really cool people um kevin garcia like yeah. um you know uh, it's, it's just been cool to kind of like find my people, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so that's been really, really helpful. And I think, uh, Jace recognizes that, um, and he still lets me come in like, and hop on Tuesday school with him, which is this like a uh, Bible study that he does on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but basically I think I'm, I think I'm a plant, uh, whenever he has me come on and teach, <laughs> like, it's always like when there's something that if he says it, he'll get fired. But like, if I say it, he can interact with it, you know, right. and then it's okay. It, it seems like that's when I'm, I'm asked to come on the most, <laughs> but well, I know, think that's the, that, you might, you might've just identified your spiritual gift right there. There, <laughs> there we go. Right. Being a, a, a general nuisance. Um, right. But yeah. But also too, like, even the other day I was, I was happy. I zinged him pretty good. Cause I was talking about something and he was like, yeah, but like, um, I forget who the other person was, but it was like, but do they even go to church? And I was like, dude, Trip Fuller goes to church every Sunday. Like Trip loves church. He has been oh, on the man. podcast advocating for church. So like, you can't yeah. pull that card on me, Jason. He was like, oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, Got him. So yeah. Within our friend group, uh, you know, he consistently gets the the prize for being the most authentically Christian <laughs> and, 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 and authentically like legitimately pastoral you know, like he just, you know, so he just, yeah, kinda, that, that's the, the air he, he breathes. Yeah. I, I think so. That's the, yeah. Pastoral is a really good word uh, or, or way to describe trip. And I always joke with him too, that like, 
I'm always so deeply impressed with how even when he is deeply filled with the spirit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like even sometimes like when he is deeply filled with the spirit is really when like some of Tripp's best sermons start to just kind of fall out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think. And like uh... that's that's impressive to me because like typically, you know, people think like, oh, alcohol like changes you or something. But I think alcohol tends to like reveal or like yeah. more so than anything. And to be like, oh, well, if I were to get intoxicated and right. the thing that comes out of my mouth is that the God of the universe knows who sees you and, and loves you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like what happens. I'm like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> so, so you pull all inhibitions and filters and the message that comes out is just, you know, pure sweetness and love. I mean, that's uh, that, ref that's uh, <laughs> that says something about who you are as a person. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, Myron, this was a ton of fun, dude. Um, oh, likewise. I really, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And there's like, there's a lot of, uh, when we were talking earlier, you, you had sent me like so many cool different like research projects you've been working on. And also I've heard you talk about things, um, on a variety of other platforms. So, um, I'll love to chat with you again sometime in the future, um, on some of the fun stuff that you're doing and, uh, hopefully our paths will uh, cross in person again. Uh, I'm I'm the, the... sure they will. And just uh, um, not to make like just to just to give you props, like um, I really uh, this is this is the longest we've been able to to talk, you know, in 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 a row. And uh, I just really appreciate the um, just the the you know both kind of the the intellectual framing that you have, but also uh, the you know you communicate a real um, uh, sense of of you know, wanting, wanting, wanting to discuss things in ways that are going to make the world a better place uh, and to locate that in, within the Christian story in ways that relate to people. Uh, and so there's, there's a, a strong kind of, I don't know, like not to, not to over, over, you know, articulate things, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting strong, you know, pastor uh, vibes too. And not, a, not, not the creepy kind, right. But like the, the legitimate kind too. So I just, uh, yeah, keep, keep on, keep on, keep on going. Well, I appreciate it, Myron. <laughs> Thank you, you so it, much. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's been a blast. And you, you can totally edit that out if it's so. <laughs> nah, we'll we'll leave yeah. it in there. It's it's good for my uh, non-existent ego. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I'll just I'll yeah. actually just play that part. Just over play that over. clip exactly. For my yeah. Your, for your mantra. Yeah. yeah, and if I ever end up like writing or anything like that, it's just gonna be like Myron Penner endorsed. <laughs> and, you know. Any, of course 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. one one from one former youth pastor to another right? so. uh good deal well myron thanks again and listeners as always guys uh go in peace and i'll be sure to include uh fun places to connect with myron and, and his work in the show notes so be sure to look there mm -hmm.